So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 17 to chapter 3 verse 13 and you can find this on page 1187 of your church Bibles. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, Certainly, I, poor, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labours might have been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now, we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. Good to be at church. My name's Prash. I'm the senior minister. Very warm welcome, especially if you're new or visiting with us this morning. Um, it was great to see the young people up here at the, the start of the service. And uh, Pippi's great. Uh, she comes up with great illustrations. And we're going to meditate a little bit on uh, some of the things actually she raised in the, in the um, spotlight segment this morning as we think about this passage from 1 Thessalonians. We've, we're in this book uh, for this term or this kind of school term period up until December and our run into Christmas and we've, uh, th- this is a, a, a great book uh, that helps us to reflect on the nature of Christian relationships, 
uh, and particularly within the church in this section. So last week, if you remember, and you were with us or you listened to it online, we spent time last week reflecting on Paul's um, example and what that meant for our expectation of our leaders in our church and, and then flowing on our expectation of ourselves as well as members of God's church. And we keep that thinking going in this morning's uh, part of the letter that we're reflecting on. As we start, I want to ask you a question, uh, reflecting on, the, I guess, the people in this building or the people you normally meet within this building. How do you describe these people? What words would you use? Uh, hopefully not enemies, although that unfortunately may not be always the case. Uh, how would you describe them? Uh, friends? Acquaintances? Strangers? I don't know what language you'd use. Um, members? Parishioners? There's lots of different ways that you could describe the people in this, in this building. But as we look at this passage today, it's, it's striking both how Paul describes and interacts with Thessalonians, who he would consider the same way that we consider the people that we meet with every week. As we start the passage, I want to reflect on, actually across this morning, four things that are true about Christian relationships, four things that are true about the practice and the fundamental basis of Christian relationships. And they start here in the first verse that we had read from verse 17. It's flowing on from last week's passage. Paul writes, but brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. And what we see here automatically is Paul has language that he uses very consistently when it comes to describing the the, the, the people he goes to church with, the, or the people who are followers of Jesus. He calls them brothers and sisters. This is not the only time. This is not a rhetorical flourish. This is the common way that Paul and the other apostles describe other believers, other Christian believers, as brothers and sisters. A very deliberate decision to use family language, which you would have picked up in our song as well that we sang at the start of the service. This is the language of the Bible. This is at least one of the descriptors of God's people. We touched on this when we did our vision series as well. We talked about different ways of understanding the church family. And he says, but brothers and sisters, but then the experience of not being with them is so intense for Paul. And his love for them and his desire to be with them is so intense that he describes not being with them as being orphaned, possibly the most terrible of experiences relationally. But Paul, that is how Paul, he uses that kind of language to describe this, this physical separation and he makes it very clear it's not a relational separation. It's not that he's no longer able to even consider them or think about them, but it is simply that the reality of not being with them that he describes as being orphaned. And, of course, he uses this word, this uh, phrase, intense longing to describe his overall, um, his overall inclination towards them. See, what we learn is the intensity of Christian love for one another. There is a real intensity for it. I mean, as Australians, we, we don't like anything of intensity, and we kind of roll our eyes when we encounter, you know, um, overt declarations of love or adoration. They feel like there's something from Hollywood or something like that. But here, Paul, Paul is declaring a very, in a very deliberate uh, way an intense affection 
an intense affection for the Thessalonians. And so, in a sense, that's the starting point. But his, his, his affection drives him to wanting to be with them. He says, I hope to visit you and talk to you face to face. Sorry, this is the Apostle John. Paul says the same thing in his letter. And then John picks up, this is a common theme. The intense affection that we are to have to one another draws us into wanting to be in proximity with each other, to be with each other. See, um, Paul says later on in verse 18, for I wanted to come to you, but certainly I, Paul, did again and again. There is this repeated theme throughout the Scriptures that Paul wants to be with the people who are followers of Jesus. These people whose churches he went and set up, it was not, it's not like he's establishing a, um, a boost juice franchise here, you know, where he kind of gets people set up, he gives them a financial plan, and then he's off to do another thing. He is constantly yearning to be back with them, constantly. There's a drive within Paul, and that intense affection takes shape through kind of a desire to be physically with God's people, physically with them. So Christian love, first of all, is a desire to be with God's people. It's expressing this desire. Now, that is in itself perhaps not that unusual. There might be, uh, I mean, there's certainly, I guess if you're part of a functional family unit, that's a gathering where people have a desire to be together. You know, that even, you know, parents, they long to see their kids or um, they long to see their grandparents, their grandkids, if they're grandparents, they, have that in, they feel that separation. Many of you are grandparents whose children are overseas. You have a longing to reconnect with them. That's not that unusual. What is unusual is as we go through these four characteristics, you see that there are things that differentiate Christian love just from what I describe as ordinary love. The second thing is not just the intensity of it, but the depth of it. Uh, Paul, when he looks at what's happening, you see this, he attributes his separation from them to a, to a spiritual reality. In fact, their separation is not just a product of busy timetables or modern life, but the intervention of Satan in their life. And so Paul is actually saying, he's saying, I I see this relationship with, with a spiritual angle to it as well. It's like going from a 2D film to a 3D film. Christian relationships look at those relationships not just in terms of the pragmatics of it, but the spiritual reality of it. The, these encounters are uh, encounters which, which, which go beyond simply the, the material realm and draw in God himself. When we meet with each other, when we gather together, when we are in relationship with that, it's not just a pragmatic reality of these are the people who are in this building on a Sunday at 9.45. No, no, there is a spiritual bond. There is a spiritual reality to it. Now, even as you read this, it is likely for many people the reference to Satan here is just, it feels archaic. It feels like something that comes from the 1500s. It's like a it's like the time of Robin Hood. That's when people used to talk about Satan. We don't really think of that, right? And so talk about relationships, having a spiritual component to them feels a, a bit crazy almost. But I think that that's, that's something that's a product of our particular circumstances. The idea that Satan might be involved in your relationship or subverting your relationships or subverting your ability to love seems a it seems a bit far-fetched. 
we're not comfortable with the concept of the devil or that, that kind of personal agent of evil, are we? We're not because for most of the time we live under the, the understanding that if we just live a good life, a wise life, if we buffer ourselves with uh, common sense and good relational hygiene, if we prepare ourselves, then our life should generally be pretty good. Except every now and then something happens which really destabilizes. It's a reality that there is something more at play in relationships, in people, in life. The Bible says that there is an evil power at work in the world. And it gives it the title of the devil or Satan. And Paul has this kind of depth to all of life and relationships which impacts the way. And so actually it means that Paul, when he thinks of his relationships with the Thessalonians, his heart extends out to them, not just for their pragmatic, practical needs. We hope that you will have a roof over your head and food to eat. His heart extends to their very spiritual needs. How do they stand before God? Do they stand in the Lord? You see what he says here? We sent Timothy a practical response to the separation that he feels, but not just to, you know, to give you a hug, to make you feel better about yourself, to speak words of comfort about your self-identity, no, to strengthen and encourage your faith, to ground you in the Lord Jesus, to ensure that you are connected to the source of all good things, the creator of heaven and earth. This is, what Paul, this is what it looks like, you see. To love the way that God's people love is not just to provide, it's not just to provide a, food, a meal for a food roster. It's not just to drive someone somewhere. All of those things are great. But they have a deeper purpose, you see, in the life of God's people. To love is to see people strengthened, and encouraged in their faith to make people more like Jesus. You know, that's in our our vision statement, we long to be a church made beautiful. That word is our way of saying we long to see people become more like Jesus because at the heart of our relationships is not just we long to be a church where people feel supported. We long to be a church where people have friendships, We long for friendships, you see, that actually make us more like Jesus. That make us more like Jesus. And I've got to say, how good is Christian love? What a high standard that is. Do you have, would you ordinarily have those kind of desires for the other people in your life? That they might look like the sinless son of God, Jesus Christ. But the Bible, the Bible is saying that. That is at the core of your relationships. Our relationships with one another is this deeper longing for each other. Um, I, I think this, this depth to Christian relation came out to me because uh, in a moment a few years ago, I'd, I was finishing up on my previous um, position. I'd been the minister of the evening service for seven years and I had lots of relationships which were great. I'd seen these young women and men kind of go through all sorts of stages of life. They threw a party for me on the Saturday, Emily and I, for, uh, on the Saturday night. And I had a sense going into this that, oh, I, I probably, it's going to be an emotional time, you know, saying goodbye to all these people who've been, um, been lovely parts of our life, to the most part. And, um, 
I got up to say my farewell speech at the end, you know, just a thank you speech. I expected myself to be emotional, but I wasn't. I thought, oh, what's that about? You know, we had this lovely meal. People did these gags. They had a cut-out poster with me. People stood next to it, took photos. Um, I thought, well, why, why do I not feel anything? You know, I mean, I was, could say all the things that I had to say. I don't know what it was. Anyway, I, I went to church the next day, the final Sunday, the last service, and the, my boss time got up and he, he um, you know, did his kind of farewell speech. At one point he said, I want you to stand up if, you know, something like this is how He asked it, I can't remember what the first question was. The second question he asked was, I want you to stand up if over the time that, you know, Prash has been the minister here, you have come to know the Lord Jesus and be a Christian. And so, I don't know, about 12 people or something stood up. I just suddenly was just over All the emotions I thought I should... Oh, I was just overwhelmed by them. Burst into tears. T- totally caught me blindsided. But then I reflect on it. I think, no, no, because at that moment, there was a clarity about the core nature of this relationship. See, it wasn't just a social thing. It wasn't just a bunch of people that I, I spent time with. It was a... This was a relationship which was built on nurturing people in the faith. That's, that's the great, that is the great privilege of being a minister of the gospel. But it's also the great privilege of being a follower of Jesus, full stop. This is what you get to experience. If you were to summarize it, you know, what does it mean for us, Paul's example here? It is to be someone who has a desire to be present with God's people. A longing to be present. I said in the previous service, it's a bit like, you know, the two opposite ends of the magnet. You know how when you bring them together, there's, there's almost, there's just a natural drawing of those things together, right? That's what it's like to be shaped by this love, to have this kind of love in action in your life. You have a longing to be with God's people. Do you feel that? Do you feel that drawing to, to God's people? Because that's what it looks like to, to experience the love of God. And to express it, you're drawn to the rest of God's people. You have a lot intense longing, says Paul. Some of us actually live the other way, where it's like the two same ends of the magnet. We feel every Sunday or every midweek feels like we're having to force together two things which just do not want to be together. But you have to have this drive to be present with God's people, physically present with them. And secondly, it is to be driven to prayer. Because you realise that this relationship is not just um, dealt with and, and informed by the pragmatics of life. It's not just enough to be on the food roster. It's to be someone who's prayerful. I want to apply this to our, our church life just briefly. First of all, this is a, a graphic which captures our kind of our attendance in our midweek uh, Bible studies, we call them gospel and prayer groups or gap groups. Right? The top line, the red line, if you can see it on the screen near you, is um, the membership. That's the number of people who are um, slated to be in a group. Uh, what is good is that that number has kind of increased this year. More people have put their name down to be part of a group, which is really uh, excellent. I encourage you, if you haven't done that, that's do it. You're missing out. Second line, though, this, the purple line, is the number of people who actually turn up every week. To agree. Now, the challenge is the gap between those two lines, isn't it? We're talking about 35 to 40% of people in a group don't turn up. 
every week. If we are people who have a drive to be present with God's people, it needs to flow out in these kind of spaces. This is the place. This is the place to express this kind of Christian love for one another. I want to encourage you to embrace this picture of loving God's people. Uh, second thing is we have prayer meetings that run. Now, if you are someone who really cares for people, Paul's model says to us, if you care, you pray for them. If you care, you pray. Because you notice, actually, he, he recognises the spiritual nature of these relationships. And so what does he do? Apart from sending Timothy, he prays for them. So the last three verses of this um, of this little section is actually Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians. He's writing to them, but he can't help but go into a season of prayer for them as he writes the letter, a common theme in his letters again. And so prayer has got to be at the heart of our life. If we love each other, if we care for each other, we pray together for each other and with each other. We do that because that's what it looks like to be in relationships that are more than two-dimensional. We get together and we pray together. You do this in your midweek groups. You do it. We have quarterly prayer meetings. We have a prayer meeting on Saturday, the 11th of November. Normally, these prayer meetings are um, on a Wednesday night at the start of the quarter. But this meeting, we always run in the morning on a Saturday because we recognise some people getting out of the house at night time is difficult. For other people, we recognise that, you know, if you've got young kids, 7.30 to 8.30 is not ideal for them to be out. We want your kids there. We want your kids at the prayer meeting. That's why we run on a Saturday at 9.30. Now, our family has sport on a Saturday from 8.30 to 10. We are skipping sport that Saturday to come to the prayer meeting because we are people who care. And so we cannot teach our children to care apart from the activity of prayer for God's people and with God's people. So I really want to encourage you to be at this. Whatever else you have, Rearrange it, cancel it, tell them you come late. Come to the prayer meeting and pray together. I've been encouraged this year. We have seen more people at prayer meetings every, uh, every quarter, but still we have like 50 people at a prayer meeting. But there's 150 of us here on a Sunday. So less than a third of us um, or about a third of us are, are able to get to those. Now, I understand there's always, there are always logistical issues to making something. I've chosen a date. I didn't consult you. I'm sorry about that. Come with me. Let us pray together. Let us express Christian love together. Let us do this. We live in a world that is exceedingly lonely and longing for love. And the church of God is a, is a centripetal force for love. It's drawing you. It's saying, here are people who want to love you. I want to pray for you. I want to nurture every part of you, not just the, the physical stuff in your life. They want to nurture you into eternity. Come with us. Come with us. Of course, you're going to find this hard. That's the thing we learn about love in the Bible. It's really hard. And, and you are, you're, going to, you're going to balk at it. Why? Here's, here's three reasons that... Um, Paul gives us. First of all, he says this at the start of chapter 3. He says, so when we could stand it no longer, remember he's been concerned for them. He says, so when uh, he's separated from them, he can't go to them. He says, so when, 
And if you don't know the story, read Acts 17. He gets chased out of Thessalonica. He's being persecuted. If he returns, he'll be killed. Or, or the Thessalonians probably will cop it again, as they did the first time. So that's why he doesn't go back, one suspects. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. And so we sent Timothy, he says. One of the reasons it costs, one of the reasons loving people is hard is that it costs you. Like certainly, if you want to love the way the Bible talks about it, it requires sacrifice from you and very significant sacrifice. So Paul, this is not the only time he's done this. In Philippians, he sends Epaphroditus. In Philippians, Paul's actually in jail at that time. Epaphroditus is one of the few people who had brought comfort to him in this season and Paul sends him back to the Philippians and then he's planning to send Timothy again to them. Paul is this guy out on the mission field alone or with like one or two other people with him, constantly, constantly uh, under threat. His life is constantly at risk. And so these people around him, this small little group of people, are his only source of security and comfort and assurance and love in this world. And yet Paul chooses to pick those things up, those people up, and send them back. Because to love the Thessalonians is to cost himself something. Love is hard because it costs you. It calls you to make very significant sacrifices. Secondly, see what Paul says here. He says in verse 5, I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labours might have been in vain. When we read this passage, actually, the, the, the staff team really took comfort from this passage. Why? Because we just have this constant sense when we are ministering to the people at St. Stephen's that things just always seem to intervene. Seem to, things just pop up. Someone's going really well and then something happens in their life. They're going really well and they get a job and then they just kind of drift. They disappear. And we just, we just see that this is not just about getting a job. This is an intervention. But this, is a, this is an intervention by the devil. This is a blocking. Paul calls it that, very much thing. We were blocked by the devil. And so Paul, Paul is just aware that these relationships between God's people are always the subject of the devil's work. He's always seeking to undermine the relationships of God's people. Jesus says, he prays, he prays for unity within God's people because he knows this is where God will, this is where the devil will go to undermine the work of God. If God's people don't have unity, if they don't have love for each other, how will the world know the love of God? So Jesus prays for them. So one of the real challenges actually of these relationships, the devil gets in them, which makes them difficult, which makes people do things which are really hurtful and damaging. And so loving God's people is in some ways harder. It opens you up to more strife, more conflict, more heartache because the devil is constantly has his eye on undermining and damaging those relationships. But thirdly, what makes it difficult to love this way is look at what Paul says about the Thessalonians. He says, for what is our hope? What is our joy or our crown? What's the thing that just we would wear on our heads and say, this is the best thing about us. What is it? It's the Thessalonians. See, what makes this love hard is that you open yourself up 
to their successes, but also their failures. You become completely vulnerable to them. This is what John Stott says, describing this passage and Paul's relationship with the Thessalonians. John Stott, a former English, uh, he's, he's passed away now, great English theologian, he says, Paul's life was in, inextricably bound up with theirs. That's the message you get here. If they succeed, he is joyful. If they fail, he is crushed. Again, the staff got real, we got sense of assurance by this because that is our experience. When someone is succeeding in their spiritual life, when they're growing, it's a joy to us. But when someone is drifting off, when someone is dropping aside, it, it is so crushing to us. Because, to, you see, to love someone makes you vulnerable. It makes you vulnerable. That's what real love is. If you think you can love someone and be impervious to their failings and their words and their actions, you don't really love them. But when you love someone and they let you down, it really hurts. And I reckon that is probably the main reason why most of us always hold something back when it comes to loving others in God's church. Maybe you've been hurt in your personal life, Maybe you've been hurt by another Christian. Maybe you've been hurt by your experience of church in the past. And it's just easier in your mind to keep the walls up. You're happy to be here. You're happy to put some money in the offertory plate. You're happy even to serve on a team. But you will not open your heart to people. You will not make yourself vulnerable. And so you will not really love like Paul is talking about. I get it. I get it. Because as soon as you make yourself vulnerable to someone who is like you, you will get hurt. You will get hurt. So how do we, how do we unlock this? Well, TV did us a great service here. Because she, she led us to actually the final two, um, final two things about Christian love. I want you to notice who the main actor is in this relationship, this matrix of relationships Paul is describing here. It is not the Thessalonians. It is not Paul. Here's what he says. We turn to his prayer at the end. Here is why he prays. Not because God is a genie. And is kind of, this is a, a, a warring battle between God and Satan, and we're kind of calling on our general to fight. No, the reason he calls on God is because God has all the resources. He says, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and everyone else. What Paul's articulating here is a profound truth of the Scriptures. Only God... Only God can help you love the way you should love. You can't walk out of this building today and say, I'm, I'm going to be regular at my Bible study and I'm going to turn up to that prayer meeting. I'm going to show Prash. I'm going to show him what real love is. Now, only God can change that in you. And that's why Paul just, he's praying because he understands the real the real energy behind the Christian life is the grace of God. The gracious love of God, in fact. Here's what the Apostle John says, because this is a theme in the New Testament. We only love 
in response to the love of God, a receiving of God's love first. So John says, we love because he first loved us. The repeating theme. We love because he first loved us. So here's my question for you. Do you believe that God loves you? Do you believe he loves you? Not because you've done anything. Because John makes it very clear, in fact, that he loves us before we loved him. He loves us when all we're focused on is ourselves and our own self-protection. He loves us then. Do you believe that God loves you? Do you believe that in Jesus Christ, God declares a willingness to love any and every single person who would come to him? Because that's what he's saying. Do you believe God loves you? That truth, that, that's the elixir for life, you see. God loves me in spite of me. And God, God became vulnerable for me. God went to the cross, and there on the cross, what did he do? He opened his arms for you. He opened his arms for you. And he bore all of the wounds for you. God loves you. And it is only understanding that which will stir your heart. But the other thing, the, second, the, the fourth reality of Christian life and Christian love is this. It all has a purpose. It all has a purpose. God is making you ready. Every time he calls you into one of those relationships, he's making you ready for a great gathering. Look at how Paul finishes. He says, may he strengthen your hearts. May he pour his love into you. May he show you the wonder of the gospel so that you'll be blameless and holy, so that you will love one another like Christ loved you. Why? So that you in the presence, so that you'll be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all these holy ones. God is dressing you up with all the characteristics of Christ. Every time he calls you into one of those relationships, he's dressing you up by his grace to be ready for that last gathering. We're people of the future. We're people who love because we look forward to a great gathering where we're ready to meet Jesus. God is making you ready, my friends. He's making me ready. Every time he calls me into a hard relationship and equips me by his grace to love someone or to be loved by someone, he is making me ready. I hope that's true for you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the extraordinary truth of the gospel that in Christ you offer to love us regardless of whatever we have done. We thank you that you love the unlovely, that you become vulnerable for those who are often self-protective, that you open your arms for us on the cross to draw us in. We pray, as Paul prayed, that you would pour your love into our hearts by the work of your Holy Spirit, that he would point us to Jesus and give us a richer and deeper understanding and experience of the love of Christ for us. And fueled by this love, Heavenly Father, would you make us ready for the last day as we clothe ourselves in acts of love to one another and the world.
Jesus' name. Amen.